right, we are back for another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. Once again, I am joined by Lauren Rowney. Lauren? Oh, you introduced me first. Now that I'm like crisp sounding, I sound as good <laughs> as you guys. Um, how's it going, Abby and Amy? I'm mixing it up a bit. But you can introduce Amy. Yeah. We, we can do it, in a, like, do it in a circle. I'll introduce you, you introduce That's Amy. Awesome. <laughs> Let's do it. Maybe we should introduce each other with our Powerpuff, what's it called? Your superhero. Well, we, yeah, we are the Powerpuff Girls of Cycling, but here to take down all <laughs> everyone who who won't help women cycling move move steps forward into the future. But the problem is we're all the green one. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're all quite grumpy all the time. I have an excuse, uh, thank you. That's true. I don't. Amy and I have to like figure out which one of us is going to be the pink one and which one of us is going to be the well, blue one. Well, is the pink bubbles? I think the blue one is bubbles. Mm, right. Neither of us are very bubblish. I will say that. There's got to be like a a group a, a three a group of three women who fight the patriarchy and are all of them like a little bit surly. There's got to be something like that out Charlie's there. Charlie's Angels. No? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Charlie's Angels. That would work. Except that they all answer to one man. Exactly. Although our podcast is owned by a man. so Wade's Angels. <laughs> that was a great that was a great introduction to this episode. It was we're already we've already lost the plot. Okay. <laughs> it's actually gonna be a short episode. I got no interviews today. But we are going to talk about the Dutch Olympic team, the French Olympic team. The start list for the Olympics is kind of starting to round itself out a little bit. We're getting a glimpse of who we're going to get to see line up in Tokyo. We got some news about the Tour de France for the women and an interview with Christian Prudhomme, which was, yeah, we got we got thoughts on it. And Turingen is saved. I guess that doesn't really need much uh, chat, so we can kind of start with Turingen. There was a chance that Turingen was not going to happen. The Lotto Ladies Tour is what it's called now, and it was saved by via crowdfunding, but also I think a, a, a sponsor maybe came in last minute. But we talk about that race all the time on this podcast, so it's worth mentioning that it is going to happen this year. We love that race. It's awesome that it's happening. It's a bummer that this, like the um, the women's race in Switzerland, both had to be saved via crowdfunding. Like we, it's it's not a sustainable model. Um, so it's not a it's not great, but great that it's saved. And hopefully, it's just because of the the COVID and just a one off that they had to kind of resort to I feel these like, measures um, to save the race. You know, Germany has had its issues with road cycling, of course. Um, in the past with just some bad press and perhaps yeah it's you don't really see men's races that much in Germany either do you so I can understand from a sponsorship perspective why it might be quite difficult um, to find sponsors for such a race but like like we've said before Turrigan is just it's been around a long time and it's it's an awesome race it's a week long we don't have many week-long races. It's really hard racing. It's a good opportunity, 
um, mostly speaking for time trialists to actually have a decent sized time trial, um, particularly that sort of time of year. Um, because like, if that's sort of your jam, there's not that many long time trials on the calendar, but just in general, uh, it's a great race for, for young riders to show themselves. Um, also if you're a domestique to have a crack, because it is a really hard race and quite often there'll be those stages where, you know, the, the smaller break does go, um, really short rolling, punching hills. I love it to be honest. And, um, just the time of year it's on. So really happy to see that. Speaking of, is it running the same sort of time it usually does or? Um, it's the end of this month. Uh, it starts on the 25th. Awesome. Well, curious to see who's lining up for it. I, I imagine that the Starless for the, for the Lotto Ladies Tour is going to be pretty stacked, pretty good. Although it does kind of overlap a little bit with Burgos. Um, because I think Burgos ends the day before, so it doesn't overlap. But that would be quite a quick turnaround from from Spain to all the way to Germany. But uh, there are no time trials really. Time trials are so rare on the women's calendar, especially before the Olympics. So that that could make the start list interesting. Although if it's if it turns out that, you know, Anna Meek and, and Anna Vandebregen and the time trialists that we really expect to be competing at the Olympics don't show up to to the Lotto Ladies Tour, then time trialing is such a weird, weird aspect of the sport where you don't really need to compete in a time trial to work on time trialing. So it it doesn't, for those top riders who are looking to be on the podium in in Tokyo for the time trial. They don't really need to race a time trial to know whether or not their time trial is going well. <laughs> I I guess so. the only thing with that would be to like see how your competition was going. Doesn't mm-hmm. yeah. It's sort of like a sizing up thing. It definitely like if you do a big time trial before heading to the Olympics, it would give you a boost of confidence to know, but then again, I mean Kristen Armstrong showed up in Rio having not raced the European peloton and demolished the time trial and won gold yet again. So, um, yeah, you never know. And the the Tokyo time trial, I'm actually not familiar with the course. I know far more about the road course. Amy, do you know anything about the the Tokyo or Abby? So That's so far that's, away. Yeah. I feel like we have to – like we got to – we got to get there first. We like talk so much about the Olympics and still we don't know whether so or not excited it's about it. going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen for sure. Like it's too late now. It's less. What is Maybe it? you okay. should be bubbles. Okay. I'll be bubbles. <laughs> you got the optimism. <laughs> On the topic of the Olympics, the Dutch Olympic team was announced and it is as stacked as we would have thought. Um, it is Mariana Voss. Annemiek Van Vluten, Anna Vandebregen, and Demi Vollering. And actually, I'm so happy to see Demi Vollering on there. I would have probably thought that Chantal was going to go uh, for a little bit of you know power in in the early stages of the race, but instead they're they're sending Demi, which is amazing. Um, I in my article when I wrote about this, I requested that people kind of try to think of a, a nickname for the four of them since their surnames all start with V. We got the killer V's. I think it's great. <laughs> the killer V's. 
Yeah, I love it. Don't even say any other names. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's really good. But um, it definitely says something about the course in a way, the, the way that they pick their team. Like you just said, if they're not sending someone like Chantal Black, um, I mean, looking at it on paper, it is a lot of climbing, but you just never know how the Olympic road race is going to be raced, right? It's a field of 62 or something. So that's very different to what we're used to. And, of course, you have teams of four, three, two, one. Um, we'll speak about the French team in a moment. But um, Demi sort of got them covered everywhere, hasn't she? Because she's got a fast finish on her. So if it is a really, really hard race and, say, Voss doesn't make it through, she's got a pretty mean kick on her at the end of a hard race. So, um, yeah, it was interesting. And, I mean, based on her results alone this year, it's, it's not surprising they put her in. Um, and she is a developing rider, whereas Chantal and Ellen Van Dyke well, Chantal's retiring and Ellen Van Dyke, I don't know if she'll go to Paris. So it's just investing a little bit in the youth as such. Absolutely. Although I would not at all be surprised to see Anamik racing all the way th- to Paris. No, I wouldn't be surprised either. Nothing's slowing her down. <laughs> no. I guess the only thing with that Dutch team is the same old thing of like that all of them individually are capable of winning. So to not take someone who, I guess, kind of in their day job is like a domestique, is, is like a powerhouse like Ellen van Dyke, is maybe a little bit of a danger. But then depending on the kind of dynamic, like for sure, Demi's already proven that she can work. Um, she did it for Anna in flesh. Um, I guess it just depends on whose ambitions who can put their ambitions aside, I guess. Valid point. And the Olympics only comes around normally every four years. Yeah. So. <laughs> exactly. I, I thought about this as well. Yeah. It's really interesting whenever you see these teams line up and the Dutch seem to always be able to put together a team of all winners that can still you know, all work for one common goal. They've won so many world championships with a smattering of teammates that are all on different trade teams. And then if you look at a team like the U.S. team, they struggle to put together a team of riders who are all winners that can that can race for each other. Mm -hmm. And it's it's this very interesting balance of trying to get, you know, riders that can win whatever the situation and also people who will be able to work for each other. And I think Demi is such a great addition because she, like you said, Lauren, she's new to the sport. She's probably got another Olympics, if not two more ahead of her at this point. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see her going there purely to work for the others. And Voss and Anamiek and Anna Vanderbregen, all three were on the Dutch team in, in Rio. So we know that they can also hopefully kind of the only kind of outlier in those three, I think, is on a meek because she had such an amazing race in Rio and and was so close to, you know, being able to pull off that win with Mara before she crashed that I think her hunger, it'll be interesting to see how her wanting to win and Anna Vanderbregen being the reigning champ and on the edge of retirement, how that's going to play out. 
And I mean, we don't know much about Voss and how much longer she's going to race and and what what her ambitions are. But I feel like Voss is just such a kind person that she's not going to have any trouble racing for Anamique or Anna van der Bregen based on how it comes down and equally is going to be able to race for herself and that if it comes down to a small sprint and Demi's not there. So yeah, she'll be an amazing captain on the road. That's for sure. I mean, this will be what her fourth Olympics. Third, maybe fourth. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. She's not that old. That's the crazy thing. No, but I'm pretty sure she lined up in 08. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. She could have been in Beijing. Probably wrong, but <laughs> man, that would, well, I mean, you're, that's entirely possible. She would have been, I think, ni- 19 or 20, 20. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Amy's going to do a quick um, <laughs> fact check. I'm quick. I'm becoming, I'm literally like dictionary corner. Does anybody know that? From I Canada? mean, somebody needs to do it. So I'm pretty pleased about it. <laughs> Someone needs to tell Lauren and I when we're getting things wrong constantly. She came six in Beijing. In Beijing. Wow. Yep. In the road race. Six in the road race and 14th in the time trial. All right. Wow. Fun fact, everyone. This is Voss's <laughs> fourth Olympics and she's only like 33. 30. Oh, hey, four. it's her birthday today, guys. Oh, hell yeah. Happy birthday, birthday Lauren Voss. <laughs> <laughs> we should sing her happy birthday. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right bubbles absolutely not <laughs> uh yeah and like you mentioned lauren some teams only have teams of one so the french announced their olympic team and it is juliette Lebeau who's going to be representing them in the time trial and on the road race which is i think a great decision based on how hard the road course is it was a bummer i saw um audrey cordon rego's tweets afterwards where she she was pretty bummed that she wasn't selected and kind of said she chose to stay on Trek Segafredo because she loves the team, but it also means that she doesn't really ever get to go for her own results because she's constantly working for the team goal. And that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of the pitfall that, that a lot of domestiques fall into that are, were they racing elsewhere or were they racing only for their country? They would be... Audrey would no doubt be one of the top riders going for the win, but because she's on Trek Segafredo, there are other riders who can perform just a little bit better than her in certain situations. And so she's constantly working for Aliza and Lizzie and, and whoever they've chosen to win that day, which is really a bummer for Audrey, but is really exciting for Juliet. She's a young rider going to the Olympics is going to be such a huge thing for her. And, and she's quite good. I mean, she's not, been she's not pulled off a huge world tour result quite yet but she's still been up there and she's been active in the races so i think that she's a good choice and honestly apart from audrey i couldn't really see any other choice for the french so that's that's exciting for them can i just say on another note so this is what i was sort of talking about before how like the the top five teams get to send four so the Dutch, uh, the Australians, the Italians, and then I, I can't think of who else. But Americans. imagine going just as one rider. Oof. You'd have to play your cards. Well, you don't have that many options, do you? 
Um, you have like one option. You have one option hide. to hide. <laughs> and then hide until you can like, I don't know, <laughs> try to do something. Yeah. So um, yeah, everything you said is, is valid. And again, investing in young writers because Audrey, I'm not sure what she's doing, but she's also in her 30s. So she'll probably have a few years left. Maybe she'll go to Paris. It would make sense if that would be one of her final races. But um, yeah, not getting enough points so you can't send more than one rider is a bit of a shame. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. quite surprised actually that they only had one rider. Um, Me too. I thought that, yeah, I was expecting them to be able to send at least two and there's some really good two. upcoming French talent like Evita Music. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean... That's the thing with Audrey, right? I guess it's the kind of um, the balance that you have to strike between like having a trade team that you're, you enjoy being riding for and working for riders on versus like making decisions based on one event that comes around every four years. I guess it depends how much the Olympics means to, to you as a rider, I guess. I keep saying, I guess. It seems like from her tweets that the <laughs> that the Olympics mean quite a lot to her. I mean, she's. It, it seemed from the tone of her tweets that she was quite sho- shocked that she wasn't chosen. But this kind of ties into the conversation we've had in the last couple episodes about the lack of races for the women. And had there been a couple other races thrown into the calendar, Audrey would have had a chance to win. But just because we've basically only had huge world tour one days so far this year she just hasn't has had an opportunity to prove herself at all this year and if anyone had been watching the races when they made the selections she is more active maybe than Juliet. but because it is based on results that's like this interesting thing in cycling that is both you know when you're getting hired to a team and also for these olympic selections that the it, <laughs> It doesn't, it makes no sense to me sometimes because you want to have someone who's like actively watching all of the races and watching how the riders are really performing because Audrey rode amazing in a couple of the races. I mean, in uh, Trofeo Alfredo Binda and uh, Flesh Wallone is really kind of the two that stand out to me where she had really strong rides. And yeah, it's, it's the same when you, when you try to get on a team and they are like, oh, but you don't have any results. And it's like, well, wait, no, if you'd like watch the races, I was in breaks every single race, but that's not, sometimes that's not how it's just results based, which is so weird. Cause aren't we always like touting how this is a team sport? Hmm. But I think like Trek definitely pays attention to those riders just as, as an example team. So she will always mm-hmm. have a ride. That's for sure. And for the teams who really pay attention, they know you, you can't have a successful team without your Audrey's, your Taylor's, um, your Loretta's. I just named a whole bunch of Trek riders. But, yeah, your Jessica Allen's. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's sad, but I hope for her. She, she hangs in there till Paris and, you know, how cool would that be to finish off your career if she decides then to do it in um, your your home country? Mm-hmm. you know what else is fascinating about the countries that are only able to send one rider is it's a smattering of countries that are tiny tiny countries that basically 
They'll send riders who don't really compete in the European Peloton because they're able to get enough points at their Nations Cups and stuff like that. Nations Cups, that's like a junior thing. But like in their in their um they have like the the Europa Cup and they have the American thing and and so they'll send riders that get points on their home soil and then there's countries like France that is only sending one that they race at the top top level of the sport so that's kind of really interesting that they're they're only able to send one i mean i think the field for the olympics this year got dropped the the number of riders they're allowed to have on the start line got dropped quite a bit from rio so okay i'm pretty sure amy can do corrections corner on me but i'm pretty sure that there that in rio there was maybe 70 Mm -hmm. and that they that they dropped the number because I think they added a track of they added the Madison. So they had to ah. they're only allowed to have a certain number of cyclists and that counts for track, road, mountain bike. That that that's why there's an interesting thing with Chloe Digart if she does go, whether because she's she'll be racing on the track and she'll do the time trial. And I don't think she's doing the road race, which is why the US can maybe send three people that are dedicated to the road race instead of because there's all these weird rules about if you do the road race, they need to have, you know, like wh- whoever the Australian team is, they'll send four girls, two of which do the time trial. And I think because Chloe's doing the track, they'll send her to do the time trial on the track and then three road race. But I, I'm completely speculating here because the Olympic rules are just so, so bizarre. And we can kind of look into it more as the Olympics grow closer. But I know that there's weird stipulations about the number of riders they're allowed to send and um and spread out over you know multiple disciplines mountain bike might not be involved in that but i know it is but i know that track and road yeah it was because um in 2016 in the men's um road team they threw in a mountain biker Mm, yeah so there you go speaking of when is the u.s team going to be announced Oh man, I don't know, but I'm stressed about it. <laughs> I like I get so excited at this time of year because it's like all trickling out now. Um, excited and nervous for people that we still know in the peloton. It's it's kind of like transfer season. Yeah, yeah, but it's like it's only every four years normally. <laughs> so, Amy, what are you discovering over there? You got like a furrowed got, brow. I was trying to so. Obviously, they did release some information about like about the number of riders that um, were allowed. But I thought I thought that they'd brought. I thought for next time, I'm trying to find it basically. But I thought it was actually that they'd reduced it. They'd made it equal because I remember in men and women in in typical style, the UCI came out with this fanfare of like we have made this thing equal and it turned out it was actually a stipulation from the IOC um (laughs) so I'm trying to find it but I can't right now you're right but I thought that the men's and women's peloton will be equal right yes yeah yes but the we will leave it here but one thing we do have to investigate is the crossover between different disciplines and what that means for spots um because you know what, guys? I don't know if any rowers are listening to this, but rowing teams take up a lot of spots at the Olympics. <laughs> Just putting it out there. <laughs> Bloody rowers. Yeah. 
they get gosh to- darn it <laughs> those rowers they're the worst they are the worst <laughs> uh, you know what takes up a lot of a lot of athletes also is track and field yes yeah another sport i love track and field that's one of my favorite like series of events yeah me too and gymnastics love the gymnastics yeah Yeah. gymnastics is fun to watch oh i can't wait for the olympics it's gonna be great it's really fun i i wonder why it seems like english-speaking countries are so much more into the olympics than than a lot of other countries amy what'd you learn in light i found it um so it's from 2024 um so they've just it was just equal numbers across all events. So a total of 514, 257 men and 257 women across the five disciplines of road, track, mountain bike, and all the BMX stuff too. Um so yeah, both the men's and women's road races will have 90 riders. Wow. Hmm. That's quite a big increase from like 62 that we have now. It means that's like you think I think the men can have currently five or six or something like that six maybe even if you're one of the top teams I'm just guessing here but that's a huge thing right going from a team of yeah two or three to potentially four or five we're talking about the sort of racing that we're used to in Europe um so there's 68 who started in Rio and like 26 of them were single riders yeah. Which included countries like, I mean, Belarus uh, with Alina Amilusik, Finland, Lotto Lopisto, now Lotto Hintala, Yolanda Neff, who also would have raced the mountain bike race. Um, South Africa. And then Norway, Mexico, Brazil had two. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I It's always really fascinating how these break up. I, I love how at the start of the podcast, we're always like, it's going to be a short one. Like, hey, it is going to be short. We're moving on. All right. That <laughs> this was a big tangent. I'm because, sure some can be edited. Yeah, because our, um, our uh, well, our last topic is going to lead to probably some pretty big tangents. So an article came out at, on The Guardian about the Women's Tour de France, which is almost certainly going to happen in 2022 with some some interesting input from Christian Prudhomme about the race. And the gist of it was some logistical things. They're not going to release the course or the a number of days for some time. Prob- maybe we'll get the number of days uh, sooner, but they're going to release the course when they release the men's course in October, but he made some pretty interesting comments about if the race doesn't make them money, then they're not going to continue having it. And, um, about how all of their races lose them money, which yes, well, that may be true. Men's races also lose money. And also if you're going into hosting a race with this kind of mentality, I mean, we talk a lot about how the races that the ASO puts on for the women are kind of an afterthought. And his quotes in this Guardian article basically just proved us right. Of course they did. (laughs) And what have we said before? We'd rather not be given handouts as such and have races like the Women's Tour who genuinely 
care about women's racing and want to create the spectacle and it is it's becoming something quite special but like if if you don't have the passion or the interest you know don't hand us Paris Roubaix just because you want to make your association look good it's it's not working yeah yeah I mean literally last week we were talking about something different and I said we need to stop looking at races as acts of charity by the organizers. Yes. And then he comes out and, and words this as if look at this amazing act of philanthropy that we are providing all these races lose us money, but we're putting them on anyway from the kindness of our hearts. Like there were so many backhanded shit sandwiches. There were shit sandwiches. Yeah. It was like, like I just kept reading through it and then I, some people commented on it and I'm like, did you read the whole article though? Like, yes, there's a women's tour de France, but did you actually read the article and what it said? Yeah. Like, I think we can be excited that there's, that there's going to be a women's tour de France, that this is actually happening and it's going to be under a different name and it's going to have a little bit of different branding, which is kind of an interesting choice because you'd think if they wanted to really hype up the race as much as possible, they would have stuck with the Tour de France branding since that's what everybody knows. And that's what ha- the biggest, it's the biggest race in the world. So if you're going to have a women's equivalent, wouldn't you want to promote it the same way as the one that you have that is clearly successful? So it's really interesting that they've made that choice. But at the end of the day, we we can be cautiously optimistic that there is going to be another stage race on the world tour calendar, assuming that they are going to make the race world tour. Yeah. Mm. I think the point about what they call it is actually really interesting because if they choose not to use the Tour de France brand, which it looks like they might not, it's really telling that they don't, it's almost as if they don't trust the women's Peloton with that brand it's this huge name that transcends cycling. If you walk up to a rando on the street and say the Tour de France, they know what you're talking about. If you walk up to a rando on the street and say, I don't know, the Vuelta Espana, they'll be like, what's that? Le, uh, Le Tour Femme, I think is what the the Twitter handle is Le Tour Femme. Yeah, I saw that too. So, I mean, I think that's also a bit of a snob. Um, mm. Yeah, I think, but with the article... The overarching tone that he had was setting it up for failure. And that was the problem. Like, exactly as you say, Abby, if there's a women's tour de France and it's done right, because that's crucial as well, it then fantastic. Like that will be huge for women's cycling. But it's how they handle it. And his the, the issue with that article is his tone. And I mean, yesterday's villain, Thomas Vandenspiegel from Flanders Classics, I've probably just butchered his name. But at least he came out and said, like the way he worded it was, we believe in women's cycling. So instead of calling it losing money, I rather call it investing, which is a positive framing. It's not like, yes, we are poor us. We're losing money on these races that like the woke people are making us put on kind of like that was the impression. But every race that started any business that starts, for example, you never make money in the first years. It's an investment, exactly. A long-term investment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the way that women's cycling is going, as we said last week and with my talk with Scott Sunderland, 
it's it's right it's getting so much more attention right now it's growing so much right now so the opportunity that they have to put on a women's tour de France and have it make money is very real. That is a mm-hmm. very real chance that could happen. And attract a whole other audience as well. Exactly. But having it having it after the men's tour de France, so when the the men have finished racing, like on the Champs-Élysées, it will start at some point, you know, the following week or a week later or something having made that choice and also the rebranding, those are two interesting decisions that are, as you said, Amy, kind of setting the race up for failure. Because at that point, you have kind of a a cycling... Coming from a fan who watches every single race, at that point, you've been waking up every morning if you're in the US to watch the tour every single morning, or in Europe, you set aside two hours every afternoon to sit down and watch the tour. You've got kind of a cycling hangover and that's why I think the Vuelta doesn't get the the attention it deserves because at that point, like no one wants to watch cycling anymore. Not so three weeks. <laughs> exactly. So I feel like one of the things that really stuck with me from last week's episode is how well Flanders Classics, how well those races did when they showed them after the men's races. Yes, it was just one hour of coverage, but it was one hour of action-packed coverage that happened right after a really exciting men's finale. So you took that that adrenaline rush and that excitement from the men's race into the women's race that as soon as it turned on, it was an exciting thing to watch. And I think that that, it, that is how you make a race successful in my eyes if you're going to tie it to a men's race. And it seems like they don't want to tie it to the men's race and, I mean, this quote is one that really got me. There was the Tour of Yorkshire and the Tour de Qatar Feminine. There will also be a Paris-Roubaix in October. If it makes money, that's great. But if it mu- <laughs> but it mustn't lose money or it will end up like the Tour in the 80s and it will die. Which is, whenever there's anything said about the women's tour, it's always they're just so excited to be putting this race on. And it's the same with a lot of the women's races that we support on this podcast. The Giro has this very interesting aura around it that's kind of like we put on a race. Now you should come race it. But we're not going to once we like actually, you know, slap dash this thing together like we don't we're not going to try to organize it anymore. For sure, this race is going to be really well organized. It's going to, you know, have great courses. It's going to be a good race. But whether or not it's successful is is completely up to the ASO at this point. I agree. And the interesting thing is, I'm sure we've read articles on this. When the Tour de France started for women, it was run alongside the men. And then they made the decision to move it to another time of the year. And that's when it. I think it, the pieces of the puzzle started to fall apart because, like you said, if it wasn't run on the same day, you know, they, they, they had those women on the podium with the men back in the day. There's some really iconic female riders standing up there with iconic male riders and it was something really special. And I'm sure, you know, your Connie Carpenters have weighed in on this before. Um, but... If it's an afterthought and you're putting it on after the the Tour de France, everyone knows how you feel. Even the people at the Tour de France, you're exhausted by the end of it. No one, no one wants to look at cycling actually for weeks. Um, 
the journalists are just a mess after the Tour de France. I think everyone is a mess. It's such a traveling circus. It's hard to imagine how how they'll pull together then a women's stage race in a sense, because then they're going to have to bring in obviously all different staff and logistics and what. Well, yeah. So that's one of the arguments, right, for not having it at the same time is logistics. But then surely it's actually more difficult logistically to do it at the end of a three-week grand tour for the men because you're not going to be using the same people. The same people who are there at the tour are not going to stay. If I did the 10-day Jorosa and I thought I was going to die. If you said to me, you need to stay here for another two weeks, I would have said, no, sir, I'm going home to lie down. Like, So I can't imagine how exhausted, like, everybody. I mean, let's talk about journalists because otherwise if there's no journalist there, no one, you know, that's an important part of getting, giving the race a platform. Then you've got like all the staff, like, you know, people putting up podiums and all that kind of thing. Like those people are not going to stay like logistically, surely it's more difficult to find new people. I mean, of course you're going to have to have separate people for each race, even if it was on the same day, but I just don't see the argument of like, oh, it's really difficult logistically to have it on the same day as the men's race. Well, they manage La Course on one of the stages every year now. So why can't they just extrapolate that onto more of the stages? I mean, it's possible. And also your your start town can be a completely different start, t- start town because the distances are always going to be different, right? The, the women are always going to race a bit shorter. So there's not going to be any crossover of trying to find accommodation for not only the men's circus, but the women's circus. So that's not an issue. Um, yeah, there, there's always time. I just, it's not a valid excuse because they've done it once before. They can do it again. And also the other thing with the Tour de France, there are so many stages when, you know, they, they show the live coverage for, the full six hours of the men's race, no one is really watching at the start unless like, yeah, you're working on your laptop and you have it in the background, but it's, it's a perfect opportunity to actually put something on either before or after, but we'll get shut down with this, but still in my mind, the best thing to do would to be bring, um, to bring another race organizer on board to see what their opinion is of running the two in conjunction and whether this is a valid reason. Not I mean, the number one thing that they could have done that would have, yes, been a logistical nightmare, but would have guaranteed the success of this race would be to put it on the last week of the men's tour and have the women finish racing on the Champs-Élysées just like the men. Mm-hmm. Like, that would have been the way to... I'm I like as you guys are saying logistically speaking I'm thinking about this in a uh, from a journalistic standpoint and we're going to have the Tour de France daily podcast going on every single day of the tour and then we're going to have the women's tour daily going on and it's going to be four weeks of one day podcasts that are at a certain point people just aren't going to listen I I absolutely guarantee I, I guarantee the listens for when we do the women's tour daily whether if we do it on freewheeling, then I think that it will get the same number of downloads as as we get all the time. But I think if if we're doing them on the cycling tips channel as well, for example, they no, no they're the listen number is going to plummet. And it's not because it's women cycling. It's because at that point, people just 
have lost interest in in the racing. It doesn't matter that it's a completely different gender racing, that it's a completely different race. It's just these are very interesting decisions by the ASO. And but that's quite telling as well, isn't it? That like, you know, they must know that. And I think that, again, is why it sounds like they're just trying to set it up for failure, because. Yeah, I mean, that's three weeks of anything is like all day nonstop. I mean, I had to have a nap during one of the Giro stages the other day, like, you know, <laughs> it's like week one. No, I literally did. But, you know, anyone's going to get bored after three solid weeks, like of something happening all day long, no matter how exciting. And I just think, well, <laughs> I think that that's a good place to wrap up. Um, we'll, no doubt we will have way more conversations just like this one. I mean, or varying varying degrees of this conversation until we get to the race and we get to see exactly what they've done. And yeah, and we know kind of the picture that they're putting together and we can kind of form a better opinion on it. But uh, we will be back next week. We can talk about some one day races in Spain, get ready for the Volta Burgos, which is going to be very exciting. And um, that's it. Thank you guys so much for joining me and thank you so much for listening to our podcast. <laughs>